Indeed, it's wonderful to have uh, young adults and youth in the, chur- in the church and in the service to read and to participate today. And I don't know if you've met Caleb, but he's a really wonderful uh, young man. So and I've been appreciated getting to know him. Look, we're continuing this series about um, the study of God. You know, I started last week, the study of God, and it's, it's really about uh, theology or doctrine. Remember that I shared last week that doctrine is, is really uh, codified, so to speak, um, theology. Doctrine, once the uh, proper theology should lead to proper do- doctrine. Doctrine is a set of beliefs taught by a church or institution. That's probably a better way to say it. A set of beliefs taught by a church or institution. And doctrine is critical. And it's so important that the church understands proper biblical Christian doctrine or beliefs. Last week I started with an A.W. Tozer belief, uh, A.W. Tozer quote about what we think about when we think about God. And on Wednesday nights we're studying the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and we had a wonderful group last week of 17 of us to study this book. And guess what? There's still room for you. So if you are free on Wednesday nights, come on out. We'll get you a book. We ordered more, and we're studying God. We're studying God and doctrine right now in this series. Voltaire, the noted 18th century French philosopher, said that it took centuries to build up Christianity. But I'll show how just one French man can destroy it within 50 years. He said it took centuries to build up Christianity, but I'll show you how just one French man can destroy it within 50 years. Taking his pen, he dipped it into the ink of unbelief, and he wrote it against God. 20 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society purchased his house for the printing of the Bible. And it later became the Paris headquarters for the British and Foreign Bible Society. The Bible is still a bestseller. An entire six-volume set of Voltaire's works once sold for 90 cents. And they're probably free online. I like stories like that. It's poetic justice. It's, it's God's justice. And if, if you look through human history, I see many times when God has shown who is truly Lord, who is truly in control, things like that. We believe the Bible is a God-breathed word of God. Inspired means God-breathed. Last week I began a study on Christian doctrine, or what I'm calling the study of God. As we study God, it is critical that we recognize the authoritative source is the Bible. The Bible is the authoritative source, and the Bible comes from God. So my theme today is the Bible is God's word, and is the reference point for our study of God. You cannot... Truly study God apart from the Bible. God has declared himself to us in certain things sometimes we call general revelation. That's Romans 1. And general revelation just means that we can see evidence for God in creation. But the Bible is called special revelation. Special revelation. Everybody say special revelation. Thank you. We know you're awake for now. 
special revelation. And this is how God specially, specifically revealed himself to us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. My preaching point today, Christianity thrives or dies based off a belief in the word of God. The word of God is critical to the Christian life. So let's start with scripture. Scripture affirms scripture. And so I have these on the screen. I know these are not unfamiliar to many of you. Many of you know them. Caleb just read them gracefully and thank you. But we're going to read them again so that we get them in our head. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God breathed. Let's say this together. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're looking for a memory verse and you've never memorized that one, I would memorize those two. It's actually two. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. I'll just read this one. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How does inspiration work? We're going to share more about that later on today in this sermon, but it's right here. Prophets spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is probably my favorite. 2 Peter 3.16. He, the Apostle Paul, writes the same way in all his letters. Speaking in, them, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Don't you love that? Even Peter said Paul is sometimes hard to understand. If you're having trouble in Romans, it's okay. Peter did too. Or at least he acknowledges that sometimes they can be hard to understand. Which ignorant and unstable people distort. As they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Listen, the Bible was written over about a 39 or 40 different, no, the Bible was written by 39 or 40 different authors. Depending who we think wrote Hebrews, whether it's Paul or an anonymous person, we don't know for sure. It was written by 39 or 40 different authors. The Bible was written over a 2400 year period. 2,400 year period, 39 or 40 different authors, all of these authors affirm the value of the Bible. They all affirm the value of the Bible. The first two passages I shared with you show that the authors affirm the Old Testament. The authors affirm the Old Testament. But Peter, in that last passage I read, Peter lumps Paul in with the other scriptures. And that's really important. Peter recognized Paul's writings as inspired writings, just like the Old Testament. I mean, he says, he says, the Apostle Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. We could take a lot out of that one verse. Peter lumps Paul in with the other scriptures, and Peter also says, when you distort the scriptures, it is to your own destruction. 
Don't do that. Some 3,800 times. That's 3,800 times. That is 3,800 times in the Bible it declares God says, or thus says the Lord. And those um, references, some of them are just there on the screen. The best way, though, the best defense of the Bible is Jesus' view. And I have all these scriptures on the screen because it's scripture, and I want you to be able to see it. And different quotes that I have today I have on the screens, too. But Jesus' view of the Bible, Matthew 5, 17 through 18. Jesus says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets but to fulfill. Jesus continues, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps, whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Wayne Grudem is a theologian, and in writing about the Bible and writing about the scriptures, he shares, Jesus referred to dozens of Old Testament persons and events and always treated Old Testament history as historically accurate. He quoted from Genesis as his father's word when he said this, Have you not read? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Quoting from the Old Testament book of Genesis in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. What's on the screen comes from Wayne Grudem's book, Systematic Theology, and he says, Jesus not only assumed that the creation story was true, but also freely quoted words from the Old Testament narrator as words that God himself said. It is not uncommon for Jesus' theological arguments to depend on the truthfulness of the Old Testament account. Jesus' view of the Old Testament as the word of God aligns with the way the Old Testament regularly speaks of itself. Jesus saw his entire life as fulfillment of Scripture. Throughout his life, he used Scripture to resist temptation. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, when he was tempted, quoted Scripture? How do you want to be strong in temptation? Learn the Bible and resist temptation the Jesus way. Jesus used scripture to settle disputes. At the end of Jesus' life, he died quoting scripture. On his resurrection day, he explained scripture at length on the Emmaus Road and to his disciples in Jerusalem. Listen, we can be encouraged. The Bible is our foundation, and it is solid. The Bible is our foundation, and it is solid. We can trust our source. We value the Bible today. They value the Bible in Bible times. Actually, when you read through the New Testament, it's not just Jesus always quoting the Old Testament. The book of Acts is full of scriptural quotations. Paul the Apostle, Peter, these, Luke, they were constantly quoting Old Testament scripture. Constantly quoting scripture. And if you read through 1 Corinthians 7, Jesus is also quote, um, Paul is also quoting Jesus. But what about church history? What about church history? I have a few quotes from church fathers. These are people in the first few hundred years of the church. 
a guy named Hippolytus or Hippolytus in AD 235. AD 235 said, if there's a day on which there is no instruction, let each one at home take a holy book and read in it sufficiently what seems profitable. Tradition defined by Irenaeus and Tertullian, two of the early church fathers, is simply the teaching of Scripture. That's tradition, the teaching of the Bible, the teaching of Scripture. It was Irenaeus who stated that while the apostles at first preached orally, their teaching was later committed to writing, which is the Scriptures, and the Scriptures had since that day become the pillar and ground of the faith. The exact quote from Irenaeus is this. We have learned from none others the plan of our salvation than from those through whom the gospel has come down to us, which they did at one time proclaim in public, in a later period by the will of God, handed down to us in the scriptures, to be the ground and pillar of the faith. The scriptures, the ground and the pillar of our faith. Amazingly enough, there are over 5,700 copies of the New Testament Greek manuscripts. They're being found all the time. I believe God is preserving, God has preserved these 5,700 copies to show val validity of the scriptures. Now, if you contrast that, and you can find these statistics in books like Evidence That Demands a Verdict and things like that, but if you look at the Greek classics, we only have a few hundred copies of those remaining. And the copies we have date over a millennia after the original date of writing. But we have New Testament manuscripts dating back to the second century. Some are torn, but we have copies going back to A.D. 125. Get this. The John Rylands manuscript is part of the Gospel of John, and it dates to 125 A.D. That is something like 30 years after the Apostle John, after the Gospel of John was first written. That's amazing. Dr. David Bauer from Asbury Theological Seminary shared with me in an email a few years ago. The very earliest manuscripts are largely fragments, but we also have almost complete early and reliable texts, such as Alexandrinus, which is the 5th century, so the 400s AD, and that includes the Old Testament in the Greek, and the New Testament. And then we also have something called Vaticanus. I might have mispronounced that. Which is the Old and New Testament, likely 325 A.D. We have preserved 325 A.D., the whole New Testament. And besides that, get this. If we lost all of our New Testament manuscripts, all of our New Testament's gone, we could put them together we could put the New Testament together again just by quotes from the church fathers. The church fathers, these early leaders in the first few centuries of the church, who God used, quoted the New Testament so much that we could put together the whole New Testament just by their quotes. That's how much they valued the Bible. Martin Luther said, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me, it has feet, it runs after me, it has hands, it lays hold of me. Be encouraged, the Bible is our foundation and it is solid be encouraged, we can trust our source. But the question comes, how did we get the Bible? And this gets into the big question of inspiration. And, it, and it's too big of a question for one sermon. In fact, this whole topic is too big for one sermon. But let's talk a little bit about inspiration. 
Benjamin B. Warfield was a theologian, and he said, Inspiration is therefore usually defined as supernatural influence exerted on the sacred writers by the Spirit of God, by virtue of which their writings are given divine trustworthiness. I know that's a lot to take in. It's in your notes, and you can check it. But Charles C. Ryrie, many of you might have the Ryrie Study Bible. Uh, He is a theologian that died two years ago. He said, inspiration is God's superintendence of the human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error his revelation to man in the words of the original autographs. People moved by the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. They wrote by a number of ways. One method is the Holy Spirit literally spoke to them. And we see that in Habakkuk 2.2, in Revelation 1.19, the Holy Spirit literally spoke to them. Sometimes the Lord literally engraved the Bible onto stone. We see that in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 31.18. Sometimes the Lord led a person to write. We see that in Luke 1.1-4. Sometimes people wrote from memory about times with Jesus, such as Mark writing off of Peter's testimony or Matthew's gospel. But inspiration means God breathed. To inspire means God breathed. And we see, we can get in the New Testament canon. But one thing I need to say at this time is that God inspired people. God wrote these books through them. But we still have their personality. We still receive Paul's personality in contrast to Luke's personality. In contrast to Peter or John or Mark. We still get their personality. And so many of you might think... Well, I'm inspired. Can I write the Bible? Can I write a new book of the Bible? And what we would say is the New Testament canon is closed. And it closed with the death of the last apostle, which would be John. John was the last apostle to die in the 90s AD, and that is when it closed. The early church fathers had a strict test to determine what books could go in our 27 books in the New Testament. And part of that strict test of validity included that the book had to be written by an apostle or one who wrote off of the testimony of an apostle. And in fact, there are four parts to this test of validity. One is apostolic, I hate this word, (laughs) apostolicity, apostolicity. One is acceptance and one is content and one is inspiration. Stilicity. Was the author an apostle or did he have a connection with an apostle? Mark wrote under Peter's testimony. Luke wrote under Paul's authority. Acceptance. Was the book accepted by the church at large? The recognition given a particular book by the church was important. By this canon, false books were rejected and some legitimate books were not accepted till later. Content. Book reflect Consistency of doctrine with what had been accepted as orthodox teaching. The spurious gospel of Peter was rejected as Gnostic. It didn't fit. Inspiration. Did the book reflect the quality of inspiration? Is my microphone dying, Dan, uh, Billy? Where's he at? Tell me if it's getting weak and I'll pick up another mic. No? Okay. I, I felt like I lost it. He's turning me off. Inspiration. You know, the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha, there, there, there are certain works of literature that were rejected. They did not fit inspiration teaching, okay? 
But one thing I want to say with this, one thing I want to say with this before we move on and, and even close the sermon, the New Testament canon was affirmed in the first few centuries of the church. And there, there's more to be said about that, and we can save them for a later time. But listen, when the book The Da Vinci Code came out about 12, 13 years ago, one thing that book showed is how poorly Christians know how we got the Bible, how we got the New Testament. We need to understand more because the book, The Da Vinci Code, and I read it, by the way, I did read it, so I read it, but it made a lot of allegations that were just totally inaccurate. And it said it was fiction, but when you mix fiction with truth, it can just be very, very dangerous. By 140 A.D., we have quotes from church fathers regarding what books fit in the New Testament. By 140 A.D., it did not take long for the early church to come together and accept these 27 books of the New Testament. But why is the Bible necessary? And why is the New Testament necessary? Here's, a, here's just four things. Actually, three. The gospel. The Bible is necessary to share the gospel. The Bible is necessary for maintaining a spiritual life. Again, Jesus quoted the Old Testament when he responded to the devil. The Bible is necessary for a certain knowledge of God's will. Romans 12, 1 through 4. And by the way, and it just fits within these. God wrote a book. God revealed himself to us. In and of itself, there doesn't need to be anything else said. It's important because it's God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Why is it useful? Because it is God-breathed. And why do I talk about this today? Because we cannot study God apart from the Bible. If we're going to study God, if we're going to study doctrine, if we're going to study theology, if we're going to study Jesus, if we're going to study the Holy Spirit, if we're going to study creation, if we're going to study end times, if we're going to study anything else of that nature, we've got to go back to the Bible as our source. We can quote these church fathers, and they're brilliant people. They're great people. I like quoting Martin Luther, a brilliant guy. But ultimately, you compare everything with the Bible. The Bible is our litmus test for faith and practice. We have to go back to the Bible. And if one is wrong, it is not the Bible. It is the other source. If there is a contradiction between something I say and the Bible says, the Bible rules, the Bible reigns, the Bible is God's written, revealed word. And that's why we talk about it today. So what's the message of the Bible in one sentence? Kevin DeYoung said, a holy God sends his righteous son to die for unrighteous sinners. So we can be holy and live happily with God forever. The message of the Bible in one sentence. Ray Ortland Jr., a wonderful scholar, says, The lover of our souls won't let the romance die, but is rekindling it forever. The message of the Bible in one sentence. And actually, I have about 30 other quotes of the message of the Bible in one sentence. But I'm going to spare you on them today. Here's an application. Go home this week. And read Psalm 119. The longest psalm in the Bible, and is all about God's word. 
is all, he, he writes about a love for the law. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Read Psalm 119. A bigger challenge is to memorize it. But that's not a real challenge because if I challenge you on that, then I have to. And I'm working on Ephesians right now, so let me stick with that. And then, then maybe we can memorize Psalm 119. I will say that Cedarville University had a chapel speaker last week who did memorize Psalm 119. It's about 167 verses, but it's all about the Word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to God's Word. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Memorize Psalm 119. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, I do thank you for your Word. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and we have it preserved. Lord, we have it preserved in what we call the Bible. And for those who doubt, for those who doubt, you've given all this evidence. 5,700 Greek manuscripts preserved, going back to 125 A.D. The quotes from the church fathers. You have preserved the Bible for us. You have preserved your word for us, a special revelation in order to declare the gospel. And Lord God, if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and as Savior... May today be the day of salvation. May today be the day when they surrender their life to you, commit to you, believe in you, trust in you as Lord and as Savior. Lord, help us this week. We need your help living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able to, stand as we sing number 69, Standing on the Promises.